HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Academy Opus Cassius, the cheese industry's unique hands-on center for professional development, offering both practical and classroom training, specifically adapted for Anglophone cheese professionals. For more information, visit academymons.com. That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E-M-O-N-S.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. So it's Friday afternoon. It's time for another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. Cutting the Curd is engineered by Jack Inslee. And uh, our guest today is um, one, of my, one of my very favorite people in the, in the dairy biz, uh, Susan Bruce, who's the owner of Oli's Farm. Um, Susan, is it Oli's Farm and Creamery or just Oli's Farm? Oh, uh, it's Oli's Farm and Creamery, um, but we go by Oli's Farm as well. Whatever, <laughs> whatever's happening on the farm, either it's Creamery or it's a farm, one way or the other. <laughs> well, um, Susan makes some of the best butter that I have ever tasted, um, and uh, we were introduced last fall. And um, I just thought, you know, we've got to have you on the show to talk a little bit more about your incredible butter. Um, can you tell us first uh, a little bit about um, your background and how you wound up um, on a farm making butter to begin with? <laughs> sure, sure. And, and I want to say thank you for having me today. Um, I, uh, I was an interior designer for 17 years and uh, put myself through design school uh, by being a cook, and I fortunately uh, went up through the ranks of Bob's Big Boy to some finer dining and ended up in a French kitchen uh, with an excellent chef and really learned uh, what top-notch uh, French food was like and what it was like to eat fresh spring greens, um, and this was back in the 80s when when... The whole French cuisine was coming back into fashion, and um, I caught on to cultured butter and never let go of it. Um, 
after I got through design school, I started my own interior design practice. But I uh, have a family, and uh, we, we always ate butter. I always prided myself um, as a mom that I served my family butter, and there was never margarine in the house. There was always fresh, unsalted butter. And um, that is, I just have to interrupt for two seconds and say that is so great because my parents on the other side of the spectrum, and I love my parents very much, but they were, they fell victim to the, you know, saturated fat craze that was happening in the eighties. And so we, I definitely grew up in a house with a little bit of margarine and a little bit of, you know, (laughs) I can't believe it's not butter and stuff. And, you know, I, I forgive them for that now, but it was a, it was, it was dark days for sure. (laughs) <laughs> well, I tell you, what what you don't have makes you better. And I grew up in that house, too. And, in fact, uh, it was so bad. Uh, we used to have uh, margarine and peanut butter frozen sandwiches. So <laughs> I think that uh, led me to a path of there's got to be something better out there than what, than what I'm eating. So um, long story short is, you know, I never lost my passion for butter. I am, uh, also had a grandmother that was from the South who always had fresh butter on the table and was an incredible baker. And I think once you eat just very pure food that you just don't ever look back. You know, everything else is kind of second rate to to that, and particularly butter. Um, and I guess we'll go on to that further in your radio show, but butter is one of those foods that's affected by everything that is, is, uh, surrounds flavors, smells, air, everything. So really fresh butter is, uh, there's nothing like it. It's uh, it's one of those elemental foods for sure. I feel like butter is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a staple for, for any, any good cuisine and especially, you know, French cuisine. Um, so, so, okay. So you have, you know, you had your career in design, you had your love of butter that stretched back to your culinary days. And, um, how did you make the transition from that life to that of a farmer and butter maker? Oh gosh. Well, uh, all of my children, we lived in San Diego for a long time. Um, and we transitioned out to, uh, Valley Center, which was an agricultural community. We, had always we were always kind of that oddball family. That mom had her day job, but we always had a sheep, some chickens, huge garden, uh, some goats running around. And from there, um, as my career grew, I never, I just fell in love with farming more and more and more, and just vowed that someday I would, I would have a real farm. And we had acreage, we had horses, we had. We always had a little bit of it, but we didn't have what I call a real working farm and making making food. Um, we did the garden thing, but but uh, dairy is a whole other aspect of it. And so um, about three years ago, um, my career was at an all-time peak, and uh, I, got, I ended up getting cancer. And um, after I got cancer and went through my surgeries, uh, my significant other said to me, what do you, what do you want to do now with your life? And I said, I want to farm. I don't care what I have to give up. I want to make butter and I want to grow organic strawberries. (laughs) And, you know, it was just, I was so determined to do this. One, because I had an opportunity and I thought, you know, I'm never going to get this chance again. I sat my teenage girls down in a Starbucks 
tears were flowing, like, we're moving where? (laughs) We're going to do what? (laughs) And I just said to them, look, family, this is, this is what, this is what I want. This is where we're going to go. And I'm so fortunate to, that I had a family that was willing to do it and ride this crazy ride with with me and with Timo and, and we ended up in upstate New York, a 230-acre farm, and uh, we're, we're doing it. We're, we're doing it. We've had a lot of challenges, um, but, but we are persevering, and we're not going to give up, and we're going to keep moving forward, and we learn something new every day. That's what's so exciting about what we do, and I feel we're so fortunate to, to have this opportunity. Well... Um, I so um, the phone cut out just a little bit when we were talking. So you've moved upstate New York, um, and where exactly is your farm located? Our farm is located in Schuyler Lake. Uh, we are about uh, six miles north of Cooperstown, which is where the Baseball Hall of Fame is. Um, we chose our particular farm um, for two reasons. It had amazing soils. We have Herkimer loam soil, which is Class A soil, so we thought as beginning farmers that, you know, the less we, um, the more we had on our side, the better. Um, We were also looking towards a permaculture design, so we have running water, we have a creek that runs through our farm, we have a forest that it backs up to, so it had all the components of water, great soils, flat land uh, for grazing cattle. Um, for doing crops, it, it just, it had it all. Um, and had it been it, a dairy farm in the past? Yes. The, the farm was established in 1834. Um, some folklore says that it started out as a hops farm, but for the last hundred years it had been operating as a dairy farm. Um, they mainly did, you know, did conventional milk up until about, I think, about 1985, maybe 1983. Um, when we acquired the farm uh, two years ago, they were just kind of, they've gotten their herd down. They were no longer shipping milk. The barns were in horrific uh, state. Uh, the cows were sick. So uh, one of the promises that we made to uh, the family that we bought the farm from was that we it would always remain a farm. Um, and uh, I, it's the best thing we have ever done. Um, and uh, we are currently now working very hard to get this farm back into a working farm. Um, we just put up all of our cattle fencing in the fall. Uh, Which is a huge endeavor. Sorry? I said, which is a huge endeavor. The fencing is like, you know, the infrastructure basically of, you know, your pasture and everything. And you put up permanent fencing? Um, we, we did put up a permanent perimeter fence, and then we put up um, some fencing uh, for paddocks. We have two Shire horses that we'll be using for draft work uh, on the farm. Wow. Uh, we, we, we really want to try to minimize uh, the use of the tractors, even though they're necessary. Uh, we, we are trying to employ the back as it was in the 1930s and 1920s. Uh, we feel like it's very applicable to our farm. Our farm was a family farm. It wasn't a huge, huge farm. 
and that's the one thing that we want to keep it. We we want to only work as much as we we are able to as a family, um, and that's important to sustainability for us. Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Academy Opus Cassius. They instill their love for cheese, expertise, and experience so that artisanal producers are supported, fine cheeses are cared for impeccably, and customers are well served with expertise and enthusiasm. Deeply rooted in the glory of the French cheese tradition, Academy Opus Cassius integrates hands-on practice, formal instruction, and classroom discussion to train cheese professionals. Academy Opus Cassius exists at the heart of the Mons Fromagerie Operational Headquarters, where cheese undergoes affinage and orders are received, packed, and shipped. Surrounding the headquarters are the famed Tunnel de la Colonne and the original affinage center. Several Mons retail shops are nearby. The surrounding countryside is the home to producers whose excellent cheeses are cared for by the Mons team. France is the undisputed source of some of the world's greatest cheeses, deepest cheese traditions, and the highest level of technological research and rigor in cheese making and ripening. The Mons cheese business, now present in over 20 countries worldwide, has over 50 years of experience caring for cheese and imparting expertise. Academy Opus Cassius is the cheese industry's unique, hands-on center for professional development, offering practical and classroom training specifically adapted for the Anglophone cheese professional. For more information and classes, visit academymons.com. That's www.academie-mons.com. back on Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. Um, I'm your host, Anne Saxelby. Uh, many thanks to the Academy Opus Caseus for sponsoring our show. Um, we are very, very happy to have them as a sponsor. And uh, they definitely serve as one of the most unique and credible um, cheese education centers in the entire world. So thank you very much uh, to the Academy Opus KCS for sponsoring. Um, we have Susan Bruce on the show with us today, who is the owner and buttermaker at Oli's Farm, which is upstate New York. Um, and I also have my co-host, Max, uh, my son, with me here in the studio. So if anyone's hearing any, um, you know, funny little burbles and gurgles, it's, uh, it's Max. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> so, um, Susan, we were, uh, we were talking before about uh, cow comfort. Um, can you uh, get back to that a little bit and how important that is for good butter? Sure. Um, the cows need to be comfortable and stress-free in an environment where 
their bodies in the old style stalls where they were on concrete or some hay, hay on concrete. Um, we just don't feel as though uh, they let down milk as uh, easily. Um, and if they're stressed, they're not going to give up as much milk. So what we've done in our barn is removing the, that middle concrete which was uh, very, uh, in a lot of dairy barns from the early 1900s, and then the stalls on the side uh, to be filled with sand. And it just allows for the cow to nestle in there, get comfortable. The jersey is a bit of a smaller cow, um, so it suits our barn very, very well. Um, and we just feel as though the better we take care of our animals, the better product we're going to get in the long run. And the more we can manage those cows so that their comfort is there, their surroundings are clean, pristine, uh, we're going to get a better product. We One of the, the goals on our farm is that we want a, a place where animals and people can cohabit free, not chaotic, and keeping herd sizes down to a way that our family can take care of them and, and not get overloaded with too many cows, too many animals. Um, that's not what the goal of our farm is. We want to keep it small so that it's a manageable, sustainable farm. And um, how many cows does that equal for you and your family? For us, it's 10. It's it's no, no bigger than 10. Um, that's enough. To keep us busy, um, we will have two helpers come spring and this summer and probably keep them on. I have two children that are going to be in college next year, so um, it's important we do get some outside help and uh, see what they end up doing at the end of their college careers. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, have they expressed any interest in joining in the family business, or are they still kind of feeling feeling it out, being farm girls? You know... My my kids are awesome, and they um, they've been on this ride from day one, and they have been fully supportive of the butter business. They've been fully supportive of the farm. They all think that uh, having a family farm for sustainability is very important for them and for their future families. So, remorse. Oh, it seems like that. <laughs> Um, sorry, the phone is cutting out a little bit again. But um, so let's move on to your butter making process. Um, you're a pretty uh, rigorous artisan, if I can put it lightly. Um, and your butter making process is really um, intense. It's a long process. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and why that makes your butter special? Sure. Our butter processes, if we start with organic cream, um, not necessary, but it's necessary for my, for, for me and for the product that I want to make. It has to be fresh. Um, we get it um, the next day. It kind of cures overnight. It allows the fat to settle. We, the morning that we receive it, we put it right away into the tank where it's going to be pasteurized. Unfortunately, um, in the United States, you know, raw butter can be sold, but uh, Trying to get it out there on the market is, is very, very difficult. So we do a low-temp pasteurization. And the key to cultured butter and good butter is cooling it down quickly so that those crystals can crystallize properly. 
and that is where good butter is made and bad butter is made. Mm. All in that culture yeah. process. Yes. Um, you ruin the crystal sizes, and you literally can get a butter that tastes like sandpaper when it comes out of the churn. You that's... might not know it while you're culturing it, but you'll know it as soon as you churn it. <laughs> uh, we, we learned that through hundreds and hundreds of gallons of cream in our test process, that the cooled down is very, very important. What? Oh, um, seems like we're losing you again, Susan. I'm so sorry. Oh, um, Lord. Being on the farm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, right? So you said you cool it, you culture it, and then you cool it down really quickly so you can maintain that it, uh, crystallization the way you want it. Right. Then we cool it down, and then what we do is we add a culture to it. Okay. And that, cult- that culture adds flavor, and it adds texture. And it also adds bacteria for health benefits of butter that uh, makes it a probiotic. And the, the steps from the cool down of the pasteurization all the way to the end of the churn is critical for the way that the butter is going to turn out. We, what makes our butter uh, particularly bothersome in a, in a regular plant is that once we get down to that cool-down temperature and we add our culture, we let it ferment for almost three days. Wow, that's and an incredibly long time. It's an incredibly long time, but it is essential. We, when we started making butter and we begged and pleaded to get into... Uh, processing plants um, to make it, they would be, well, no, you've got to get it out of here in one day. And I said, "That's there's no sense in us making it, if, if that's the case. Now, um, I should I should back up for just a second and let our listeners know that um, you are working on completing a creamery on your farm, but um, in the in the interim, while the farm has been built out and you guys are doing the fencing and the barn and working on the creamery, you were using other people's facilities and while that's extremely um, convenient and generous in one way, in another way, it's, uh, it's, it wasn't good for you because um, since your culturing process does take so long and is so sensitive um, to being at exactly the right pH to get the right consistency for your butter, um, it's, it's hard to get somebody on board with letting you use their space for three days. Absolutely. It's, it's almost unheard of. Um, Butter making, people say, oh, you know, you just throw the cream in the churn and you turn it and out comes butter. Well, butter will come out, but for our standards, an excellent cultured butter isn't going to happen that way. <laughs> we need that time in the vat for that butter to develop, for it to hit the right pH, and then to drop it back down to the right cooling temperature, chilling temperature, so that we produce excellent churns of butter. Um, A lot of things can go wrong, even in that last phase of chilling the cream, prepping for the churn. And we've learned the hard way, and when we were first starting, you know, we we got moved. Uh, We set up in one processing plant. We were there, and we learned a lot through a lot of mistakes. Even the air temperature will greatly affect cultured butter, or in general, um, and if it's too warm, it will just be mush. So it just really need to get into our own plants. Um, we were in 
a processing plant. They gave us less than one day's notice. They were they were growing bigger. They said, you got to get out. We need the room. We went to another facility, and uh, the, old, the old equipment couldn't accommodate, actually, the our culture process, meaning the tanks have to be able to pasteurize and then show down, and then to get the cream ready for, for churning, we need almost ice-cold conditions, and mm-hmm. that involves a huge chiller. So this is why we're at the point where we need our own plants. It's, it's not just a want. It's actually a need in order for us to make the proper product that we feel is an excellent butter, cultured butter. So to back up just a little bit, just um, because, uh, you know, to finish off the process, um, it is, it is, so it's very specific to temperature. It's very specific to having the right equipment, but the basic process, like you're saying, is it cultures for three days. When the culture hits the right pH, you were saying that the cream almost becomes like creme fraiche, right? And then you churn it. Um, so can you take us through the rest of the process that kind of uh, gives it that handmade artisan quality? Oh, Sure. And I'm sorry, I'm outside on our farm because I'm not getting reception inside. So pardon all of the, the tractors and hey, whatnot. You've um, got tractors. We've got a baby in here. It's all good. <laughs> it's all live, right? Yep. Um, so what happens is, is that when we cool down that cream, it becomes a nice, thick, luscious creme fraiche. You can imagine when we do it, 300 gallons of creme fraiche. It's like you want to swim in it. And... Uh, we have to hit a certain pH with that creme fraiche. Once that is ready, we chill it down, we churn the butter, and the, when you churn the butter, you can definitely under-churn and over-churn, but we, what we are looking for when we churn is popcorn-sized kernels. Literally, it'll look like yellow popcorn in there, and that's when the, the milk separates, and that's when we get our buttermilk. We drain the buttermilk off of that. We we keep that buttermilk. Um, we feel as though our buttermilk is second to none. Uh, and I can explain that in a different radio show why. But uh, <laughs> we drain off the buttermilk. Then we rinse the butter. And then we keep churning it until we can get as much of that water out of the butter. We don't want any condensation on that butter once we go to package it. One thing that makes us unique is our process at that point is all hands-on, literally. Um, a lot of butter plants will take their butter from the churn and they'll pump it. Mm. They'll pump it either into a packager or they'll pump it into um, bags. But we take out that butter by hand in five-pound blocks, if you will, we hand knead it on a table to make sure that that water is out of there. And then I hand salt or hand herb or whatever we feel like throwing in there, honey, into that butter into five pound bricks. Wow. Wow. So, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of labor that goes into that. There's a, a lot of, uh, a lot of sweat equity in every five pound block <laughs> of butter that comes out of your, out of your facility. It is, a, it is a very hands-on intensive process, but for me as a butter maker, I know that every batch of butter that I take out, I know what it feels like, 
I know what it tastes like. Sometimes I felt it heavier than others. It kind of just depends upon what I have at that time. Every batch of butter is different. Um, it, it is amazing. When, when I was learning how to make butter, just how amazing, how different butter can turn out. And believe me, we've thrown away thousands of pounds of butter because it didn't, it didn't, didn't cut it. Um, and from there, we even take the hands-on approach even more. Uh, for our retail sales, uh-huh. uh, we, we take the butter from those five-pound bricks and we hand-form them into one-pound and one-and-half-pound discs. So, and at that point, a lot of people were telling us, well, why don't you just do the conventional stick or the conventional block? But we, we want our butter to be distinctly different, and we do it in, if you will, like a cheese round so that it becomes the center of the table. We want it something that a food to be enjoyed alone, just as it is. And they are beautiful, and they are really beautiful. Um, I am uh, I'm looking at the clock, and there's so much more that I want to talk about before the end of the show, but we only have a couple minutes left. So I want to focus a little bit on, um, you know, where, where you're going from here. Um, you are working on building out your own plant, um, and I think, and you started a Kickstarter campaign to help you guys get there, or, or is the Kickstarter campaign up and running yet or not quite? The Kickstarter campaign is not up and running yet. Um, we hope to be doing that within the next two weeks. Um, you know, it can be a pretty complicated process, and we're trying to keep things really simple. So hopefully maybe by doing this show today, we can bring some awareness to our Facebook page, which is Oli's Handcrafted Cultured Butter. Oli's Handcrafted Cultured Butter. Okay. Everyone check it out on Facebook. This is like, (laughs) even if you can't, if you, even if you don't live in New York and you can't buy this butter, you should donate for the better, for the good of butter across the, across (laughs) the world. (laughs) Well, and then we will post on our Facebook page when we are going to launch that. Um, I want it to be a very simple campaign. Uh, we, we kind of started wanting to do Kickstarter about a month ago and, People were telling us, oh, you have to have this and you have to have that. And I thought, oh, my goodness, we're just, we're making butter. We might just keep things clean and simple and easy. And so I've decided that we'll we'll have a web page, we'll put our story out on Kickstarter, and we'll go from there. Um, we really, right now, we are not making any butter. We were forced to close down our business. Um there's no getting around making butter in an inspected facility. We haven't to date have found a plant that uh, we can move ourselves in um, and use up that much time. So um, we've started the butter uh, in two different plants now and have had a lot of problems with that, with with yeah, them well, wanting basically... for us to make it in a different way. And so so we're ready to go out on our own. Um, and that's what we want to do on Kickstarter is to be able to raise enough funds to, to do the plant, get always butter back out there, um, and, and start making it again. Well, we, uh, you know, Cutting the Curd are 100% behind you. So anything that we can do to help spread the word, um, we definitely will do. Um, and thank you so much, Susan, for, for taking the time to be on the show and explain to everybody the finer points of making a better butter. Um, it's a really fascinating process. And uh, 
And uh, I hope to see it back, uh, you know, back in action in the shop and in the city uh, very soon. Oh, we do too. And thank you so much for the opportunity. And, you know, if you have questions on our Facebook page, go ahead and ask. And we just so appreciate and you bring awareness to handcrafted cultured butter. Um, we, we love it. We want to be making it. And uh, we appreciate your fantastic support uh, that you've given us over the last six months. Oh, no problem. It is our, it is my pleasure. And, you know, like I said, in my stomach's best interest as well. Well, maybe not my stomach, but definitely my <laughs> taste buds best interest. Um, so one more time, your Facebook page, just so our listeners our, can get it. Our Facebook page is Oli's, and that's spelled O-L-L-I apostrophe S, cultured, handcrafted cultured butter. And our farm Facebook page is Oli's Farm and Creamery. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much, Susan. And um, everyone, we will be back next week with another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network.